confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 5th of September. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. There is to be a clampdown on motorist speeding on Irish roads. Myself and the Garda Commissioner have agreed to allocate an additional 1.2 million uh, for Go Safe vans specifically. That's an increase in 20% or 1,500 hours of Go Safe vans being around the country. And I mean, that sole intention is to catch people speeding, but also to try and change uh, and to uh, amend people's behaviours. As I said, we have seen a worrying trend and increase in road deaths in the last few months coming from last year and we want to make sure that that trend starts to change in the opposite direction. Minister for Justice Helen McEntee speaking yesterday about a huge increase in road deaths this year. That's after a long run when year after year the number of fatalities were actually dropping. I mean look huge progress has been made in recent years we went from I think over 470 deaths in the the late 90s to reducing it to as close as 136 maybe in uh, 2021. That number has started to creep up since COVID. I'm not sure whether it's just a a number of different factors coming together. That's why this is a a multi-agency, a multi-sector, multi-departmental approach that's required. So it's everything from increased um, enforcement through Angarda Siakana. It's about increased number in ghost safe vans. It's about changes perhaps to policy or legislation and I know Minister Jack Chambers uh, is looking at potential changes to policy or to, to, uh, to penalty points because that in itself does change behaviours but also educating people uh, and making sure that people are aware of the dangers when they are driving. Minister McEntee says policing drivers' behaviour will now come under focus. I think we just need to make sure that every Uh, thing that can be done will be done here and it is about educating people uh, but it is also about making sure we have the right policies in place and of course there is strong enforcement where people do break the law. Apologies uh, for the noise interference on uh, those uh, recordings. That was the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee speaking yesterday Uh, and as you heard the Minister say 136 people died on the roads in 2021 This year, already 127 lives have been lost. The Taoiseach, Leo Radker, says he's very concerned about this. In fact, he wrote to Park, the road safety group, to say that he's very concerned that we're now going backwards when it comes to road safety and that this recent spike in fatalities is not a blip. Let's speak to Susan Gray, who's the founder and chairperson of Park. A very good morning to you, Susan, and thank you indeed 
uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. I, I'm sure you share those concerns. Good morning, Michael. Yes, it's appalling to think that 127 precious lives have been lost so far this year. And we have another four months to go before the end of 2023. And speeding, undoubtedly a, a problem. I think that was evident yesterday in National Slowdown Day in Gardaí out in force uh, measuring the speed uh, that people drove at. I think uh, listeners to this radio station will be shocked and appalled to think that someone in Phillipstown and Dundalk was driving at 161 kilometres in a 100 kilometre zone. Uh, what uh, should a clampdown do to people uh, who use the roads in such a fashion? Well, we think that that 250 feet is only the tip of the iceberg. Like, we know you're witnessing the roads every day, Michael. People speeding, people overtaking you and you're within the speed limit. Uh, people have a lot of people, not all, but a lot of uh, drivers seem to have decided to ignore the speed limits and to ignore road traffic law in general. And when we see that um, we've only got 678 members in our roads policing units now, it's not surprising that they're kind of their. Um, continually breaking the law and they're getting worse. Mm-hmm. So, like, something needs to be done and uh, the thing we think is the, one of the most, not the most, but one of the most important things is to cr- increase the numbers that the Garda Commissioner are assigning to our roads policing units. Like, we're 58 short from two years ago. That's That's appalling. And they will not convince us that they're serious about reducing road death un- until they increase the visibility of Gardaí in our roads, the numbers that are assigned to our roads policing units. And not only that, when the roads policing units stop or when any Gardaí stops somebody at the side of the road, they must have instant access to transport driver file database to know everything about that driver's driver license or learner permit. So they can, on the spot, identify a driver that's disqualified and still driving or a learner permit who hasn't got, learner permit holder who hasn't got his outlet, so driving on a company, but lies to the guardian and says he's mm. got his license at home and he's a full, fully licensed driver, blah, 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 blah. They must do that. The two things are closely linked. Mm. Increase the numbers in our roads policing units and give the poor Gardaí in them units the technology and the information that they need to transfer onto that technology at the side of the road. The transport minister must ensure that when he does eventually give them instant access to his driver file database, that that information is accurate in real time, and that it's up to date with every single driver's license details on that database. Give it to the Gardaí, help them to do their job. Mm. 
And what about the cameras uh, and uh, the GoSafe service uh, in terms of aiding that work? Uh, and this announcement yesterday, 1.2 million euro, as we heard the minister say, uh, that will equate uh, to a 20% increase uh, in the use of uh, cameras on the roads. Um, I'm sure you're happy about that. Oh, yes. It's uh, welcome news that we're getting more speed camera hours. We have a few questions put in yesterday to the government on that, Michael. Mm. We want more information on these speed cameras. Uh, I won't discuss it yet. I'll see whenever we get the reply back. But we have a few concerns or a few things that we we can't get the information off the guy the website. So we've put in a few questions and let's see what they come back with. As for the increase of penalty points for the post increased penalty points for offences, multiple offences of a driver is stopped and he's breaking two or three penalty point laws. That to date they get penalty points for the highest offence. And Minister Chambers is thinking of changing that law so that they get every offence they commit they get penalty points. We can't see that working, Michael, because a learner driver, for instance, he stopped at the side of the road. Say he has no L plates. We get the law changed there a good few years ago to make it a penalty point offence if you're driving on a company with no L plates. This is a learner driver. Now, he or she is caught driving on a company. That's two penalty points. Mm. They're also breaking the law with no L plates. That's another two penalty points. That's four. And they're speeding. That's three penalty points. So that's seven penalty points. A learner or novice driver is automatically put off the road once they reach seven penalty points. So that one stop will put, we believe, a lot of learners straight off the road. In theory, it's you would welcome it and say yes, but there's going to be uproar over this. Mm. Absolute uproar. And it's not just learner so, drivers. I mean, I was just thinking about... Novice that. drivers too. Yeah. Well, all, dri- all, all drivers, I take it. I was just thinking about that incident in Phillipstown uh, yesterday, uh, that uh, recorded speed of 161 in a 100k mm-hmm. zone. Uh, and if that, or anybody, let's say, got into a, a car after drinking a, a bottle of whiskey, didn't wear their seatbelt, yeah. were crossing the yeah. white line on the other side of the road yeah. while they're on their phone, driving at 161 kilometres in a 100k zone, uh, they'd probably most likely end up with two penalty points, is it? No, if they commit a very serious offence, it's automatic disqualification straight to court, you know. Hmm. So um, we're talking about learners in particular in theory it's it's a great idea but we can't see it getting passed cannot see it getting passed but we will wait and see Um, and uh, Minister Chambers has also taken in the next couple of weeks to government a review of the speed limits Um, as the speed limits in rural parts of the country Mm. are far too high so we really welcome that. It's a long, long time coming. Okay. It's been proposed so many times. Mm. So let's. would I have time to read out how many young people have died, Michael? Of course. Because I think it's food for thought for everybody. In Cork, there was a 16-year-old that died. He 
passenger. And an eight-year-old sightless pet, right? This is all people under the age of 25. In Dublin, there was a 23-year-old pedestrian killed, a 24-year-old cyclist, an 18-year-old e-scooter driver, and a 23-year-old pedestrian. In Longford, there was a 19-year-old pedestrian. In um, Leash, there was a 15-year-old passenger and a 3-year-old pedestrian. In um, Leith, there was a 24-year-old driver. I haven't even got to the worst one yet. Mm. Westmeath, a 20-year-old um, passenger and a 25-year-old motorcyclist. In Wicklow, a 24-year-old motorcyclist and a 25-year-old passenger. In um, Kerry, a 24-year-old motorcyclist. Then we go to Mayo and there was a 13-year-old driver, a 14-year-old pedestrian, an 18-year-old driver, a 25-year-old driver, and a 22-year-old driver. Galway had seen a passenger in his early 20s dying, passenger 16 years of age, a 17-year-old passenger, a 19-year-old passenger, a 14-year-old passenger, and another 14-year-old passenger. In Sligo, a 23-year-old driver, Cavan, a 22-year-old driver, or motorcyclist, and a 17-year-old passenger. Then we go to Tipperary. A 22-year-old passenger, a 16-year-old passenger, a 19-year-old passenger, a 24-year-old driver, an 18-year-old passenger, an 18-year-old passenger, and another 18-year-old passenger. And the last but not least, a 3-year-old passenger. Then we go to Kildare, and it was a 22-year-old passenger. Kilgenny, a 13-year-old passenger. We go to Monaghan, and there was a 17-year-old passenger and a 16-year-old passenger. Donegal, a 21-year-old pedestrian and a 19-year-old driver. And last but not least, Limerick, a 22-year-old driver and a 14-year-old pedestrian. So over 40 have died. Mm. 43 people under the age of 25. It's dreadful. It's just unbelievable. So Mm. the the government really needs to sit up and listen and stop the carnage. And the laws are thinking of bringing in, Michael, they're going to take a long time to get passed, if they ever do get passed, and uh, enact it and then come in. You know, increase where we're waiting on all this. It's not rocket science. Mm. Increase the number of police guardians that can police the roads. There's nothing to replace. All the speed cameras in the world will never compensate or be as good as the guardian, the visibility of the guardian roads. Cathy Commissioner knows this fine well. The Minister for Justice knows this fine well. We welcome today, yesterday, she said mm. that she wants to see more guardians on the roads and then it's up to the Gardaí Commissioner to assign members to roads policing unit. Has she not got more power in that? Can she not demand that the Gardaí that's been trained now and has been trained earlier this year, that some of them must be put into the roads policing unit? We're missing 58 in the last two years. So the ones that have been trained, none of them appear to be getting into the roads policing unit. What does that tell you about the serious approach that they're taking in for road safety? Very, very poor. Yeah, and 
and the results the, the, the result uh, as you've outlined to us there the 43 people uh, I think uh, you made them human for us rather than just numbers or statistics uh, and uh, it was very sobering to listen to you go through that list of so many young lives lost on the roads Susan thank you very much indeed okay thank you Michael that's Bye. Susan Gray founder and chairperson of Park Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM well if you're suffering from shortage of breath sleep problems memory problems muscle aches or tiredness fatigue uh, fatigue for 12 weeks or more for that matter it's quite possible uh, that you are suffering from long COVID a survey of over a thousand people by Ireland thinks has found that 7% of those who responded in the past four weeks said that they had experienced symptoms of long COVID. This poll was commissioned, as you've been hearing in the bulletins this morning, by independent TD for Roscommon Galway, Dennis Nocton, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Dennis Nocton, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, were good you, morning, Mike. Were you surprised by those findings? I am and I am not I'm not surprised from the point of view that this is an issue that has been ongoing now for a considerable period of time. I suppose, really, it was probably about six months after the initial uh, symptoms from people uh, contracting COVID after the uh, pandemic that people started to realise that they weren't making the recovery that they should make. Uh, What's surprising me is that we are now, you know, uh, in the back end of 2023 and we have one in 20 adults today uh, still suffering the symptoms uh, of long COVID. Now, some of these are relatively mild in terms of uh, slight forgetfulness, maybe not recalling their pen card. Uh, But some of them can be very severe in terms of severe memory loss, uh, sleep problems, fatigue, shortness of breath. Uh, And some people are experiencing the symptoms to such a severity that they're not even able to get out of bed. And we're talking about people, some of whom were running marathons before they contracted COVID, and are now not able to get out of bed and not able to function and not able to work. My God, that's frightening. Um, but what do you do in such a, a situation? Uh, where do you go? Is there somewhere to go? Well, look, the uh, HSE recognised there was a problem back in uh, 2021. And uh, in September of 2021, they committed to establishing uh, eight long COVID clinics uh, across the country. These are multidisciplinary teams made up of neurologists, cardiologists, um, uh, respiratory consultants, physiotherapists, occupational therapists and so forth because um, the symptoms in relate, related to long COVID can be varying. Uh, people usually have more than one sempt- symptom so they could have chronic fatigue uh, and breathlessness. They could have, have memory loss as well. Uh, so you needed to have a number of experts that would work with patients on an ongoing basis. There isn't a treatment or a cure out there for it at the moment, so it's a matter of trial and error. So the HSE committed to establishing uh, eight long COVID clinics distributed around the country so that people could have uh, easy access to those clinics. The difficulty is that many of those clinics have yet to be fully staffed, and those that are operational uh, have a very significant uh, waiting list. For example, the waiting list at James Connolly uh, Hospital, where many people from the uh, northeast might go, uh, has a 20-week waiting list. So someone has to be experiencing these symptoms uh, for three months, first of all. 
then they have to be lucky enough to be able to get in and see a GP, then get a referral, and it's taking a further 20 weeks before they can actually get their first appointment with a long COVID clinic, and their treatment plan could be 12 months, 18 months, two years. Right, so you would still be suffering from the symptoms. Uh, you would still need to go to the clinic by the time you get an appointment five months later. Uh, and then it could be an additional year, year and a half uh, before those symptoms are uh, treated, as you say. That's um, uh, destroying people's lives. Absolutely. And look, we have people who were frontline workers who uh, contracted COVID in the first wave of the pandemic when they were working in hospitals or in nursing homes or in supermarkets who are still out of work today, who are on uh, treatment regimes, uh, but they are not working for them. So this is very much uh, trial and error. Uh, Some people have eventually made a recovery some of whom, particularly young people, have gone back to work. And, you know, to have a debilitating illness like this for young, fit people, you know, psychologically it's very hard for them to manage it, never mind the the physical impact that this is having on Mm. them on a day-to-day basis. So what we need to see happen is we need the uh, long COVID clinics around this country to be fully staffed, fully operational, and providing the treatment plans that patients need uh, to meet their particular uh, symptoms and hopefully try and get people uh, back to work. How, how many? Thing we need, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. The second thing, yeah. yeah the yeah. second thing we need to do is to ensure that there's a safety net uh, in place uh, for people in terms of the social welfare system, particularly frontline workers, people who likely contracted the illness as a result uh, of... Uh, working at the front line during the height of the pandemic, some of whom, as I say, are still out of work. And that illness, long COVID, is not being recognised as an occupational illness that they picked up in work. And that needs to happen to act as a safety net for those people. Where are you diagnosed with long COVID? Is the GP the person who will make a diagnosis or is it the clinic that you're referred to on? uh, And that's after the five-month wait, the 20-month wait or 20-week wait. Sadly, there's no diagnosis in relation to uh, long COVID. It's a matter of ruling out everything else. And if there is no other underlying cause uh, of the symptoms, then in all probability uh, it is long COVID. Mm. Uh, so, is it know, possible to, to, to give that uh, social welfare safety blanket, if you like, uh, if it's not possible to diagnose uh, the... Well, it, it is in that the, there are conditions there that would have to be met in terms of Uh, the criteria for long COVID. But the reality is that the Department of Social Protection uh, in Longford have a team of expert medical doctors who can uh, assess these patients. Hmm. They have already assessed uh, all of these patients. They have given them the enhanced uh, illness benefit payment uh, for for COVID. Many of those have then gone on to uh, illness benefit and again have been assessed Uh, by the medical doctors in the Department of Social Welfare. So if someone is a frontline healthcare worker who uh, are working in a supermarket who has ended up on enhanced illness benefit for for 10 weeks, 
have de- has then gone on to uh, illness benefit after that, has been on that uh, for nine or ten months, uh, then clearly they fall under the criteria uh, and should be able to avail of occupational illness on those base on that basis. How many clinics are operational? You say eight were planned. There are seven uh, that are uh, operational at the moment that are taking uh, patients. The one in Letterkenny is not yet uh, operational. Um, uh, before the summer, the only clinic that was fully staffed was uh, the one at St. James's uh, Hospital uh, in Dublin. Um, and uh, that is the only one with a neurologist attached uh, to uh, the the hospital itself. Uh, the other clinics uh, in St. Vincent's and St. James's, uh, in Cork and Limerick and Galway, uh, have not yet been fully staffed. Um, and the feedback I'm getting from patients is they're not getting the type of care they need because of the lack of a full suite uh, of medical staff available to manage their condition. It sounds very complicated. I wonder how complicated is it, or to put that another way, is it always possible to treat it, or do we even know yet? Uh, Because I imagine there's a lot of unknowns about this condition. Uh, Is it possible that some people will never recover? Look, we we don't know. If you take other um, similar type of of illnesses, uh, ME and Lyme disease, you know, we have people that have those conditions for a long, long number of years. What we are finding out, though, now is that conditions like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's uh, are also associated with a previous uh, viral infection. Uh, So what we're learning in terms of long COVID can help Uh, other patients uh, with other illnesses but it is sadly uh, very much trial and error it is very much about seeing what works elsewhere and trying that on patients and it's about treating the symptoms uh, that they themselves are experiencing rather than addressing any underlying issue because we just don't know enough about this yet. Okay we'll leave it there for the moment thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. And that's Independent TD for Roscommon. Galway, Dennis Nocton. Now, let me bring you some of the comments uh, that are coming to us uh, this morning because quite a lot of comments have come in already today. James N. Drogheda says, convicted drug dealer John Gilligan has been fined and given a suspended sentence by a Spanish judge after admitting smuggling cannabis and sleeping pills into Ireland and consignments of toys and flip-flops. I wonder, are they the flip-flops that RTE got? I'm sure they're not, James. Uh, and I'm sure that that, uh, that was uh, said tongue-in-cheek. Thanks indeed uh, for that. Uh, we'd Somebody else in touch with us about that programme saying, I gave it a, a miss. Uh, why would anyone want to watch or listen to what Mr Gilligan has to say? The news is full of all those horror crime stories, morning, noon and night. Thanks indeed for that. Uh, we'll be speaking to the programme makers a, a little bit later on. Uh, congratulations to you, Michael and the crew, says Paddy Duffy. You've proven that when you take on an injustice, you grab it by the ghoulies and squeeze, uh, says uh, Paddy. Uh, not quite the words he used, by the way. Uh, it's always a good tactic one I'd approve of every time also I suggest we give Drew Harris back to the PSNI or you see as a chief constable I think he would fit in much better there after all he joined the RUC in 1984 uh, Paddy obviously uh, 
calling about the success that Damien O'Farrell and the people he represents had yesterday with uh, that historic vote in Drogheda. Five councillors voting to rescind the freedom of Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey. Four voting against. Somebody says, can you provide your listeners with the names of the four Drogheda councillors who voted in favour of Brother Garvey to remain freemen of the town? We certainly can text her. That was uh, James Byrne of Fine Fall, I beg your pardon, Eileen Tully of Fine Gael, the town's mayor, and two independent councillors, Kevin Callan and James Byrne. And we'll be hearing more about this later and their views later. Uh, can you please also uh, ask them to resign their seats, uh, says uh, our caller. Uh, well, that's not for me to do, uh, and uh, I wouldn't be asking any councillors to resign their seats, but I, I think uh, we'll take your question as a comment, and I'm sure that it's a comment that will be heard loud and clearly by the councillors in questions. Uh, somebody else says, nobody should be a victim of abuse, and especially that type of abuse. Shame on the abusers. That's a victory for the victims from sexual abuse, and fair play to the five councillors that voted to rescind Brother Edmund. Garvey's freedom of the town. Shame on the four councillors that voted against the motion. It just shows who they were supporting uh, and it wasn't surprising. A victory for victims of uh, sexual abuse. Thank you indeed. Uh, Patton Balbriggan uh, in touch too saying I'd love to hear your opinion on the speed vans. I live in Balbriggan. Now all of the surrounding roads are like racing tracks. One in particular has school traffic. It's very dangerous. School bus drops numerous drops at numerous schools uh, and speeding cars don't care as the speed vans are parked half a mile away if you're familiar with the town Drogheda Street very busy in the van park there regularly traffic going slow cyclists are passing them would love to know who decides where these vans park uh, and love to talk about it on the programme we'll give you a call Pat thank you indeed with uh, an email uh, in a similar vein from Noel Finnegan who says always listening to always enjoy listening to your programme when I'm back home on holidays uh, on this week of speed awareness following recent tr- tragic road deaths. Could you question local TDs and councillors regarding their neglect to put speed modifications on the Mill Road, which has now become a speedway for reckless driving? The road is a significant risk to residents and school children. There are four schools on the road. It's not a new issue as concerns were raised 20 years ago, but no actions being taken. Drivers show no consideration for the well-being of pedestrians and as such it is only a matter of time before there's a terrible accident on this speedway. Thank you indeed, Noel Finnegan, referring to the Mill Road as a speedway. We'll come to some more of uh, the comments uh, later in the programme, but thanks if you've been in touch. If not, and you would like to comment, our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, you remember uh, the fire at a crack. Excuse me. Uh, you remember the fire at Academy Square a, a month ago, uh, and uh, the dreadful result it had for the residents. Many of them having to find alternative accommodation. Let's speak to Lucas, who's a resident uh, of uh, those apartments, and on the phone. Uh, you continue to live in your apartment, Lucas, don't you? Uh, yeah. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, but you're concerned about parking because the car park was destroyed by the fire. 
Yes, all car park the underground is closed at the moment from the month. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can do nothing. We can leave the car on the street because we have the tickets from the 4th of September. Even 10 minutes ago, they called me from the local enterprise office. The lady told me they can do nothing. They will still give the tickets all for all the cars stay mm-hmm. on the double yellow line. Even at the moment, my car is there, so probably I will have the other tickets today. Okay. So it's like 40 euro each day for me. You're getting fine 40 euro a day. Is there nowhere else to park? Nowhere else to park. And I asked to the management, but they don't give the answer. They say that it's not them problem. <coughs> hmm. So it's like very hard to talk with them. They don't give the answer for us about the fixing, about the car parks. They don't want to talk with us at all. I try to call them many times. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and the other people as well. So they use the bad words even to just don't call them again. Oh my God, that doesn't sound very pleasant at all. Uh, but your apartment should come with parking. Uh, it's part of yes. package, isn't it? Uh, because yes, it's once car park space it's included. Plus, was some extra for the like for the guests coming in or. Hmm. Uh, and have you tried to ask uh, the management company if they would pay your parking fines? Uh, yes, and I have the confirmed by email, and they told me it's not them problem. Okay. Not responsibility for that. So. Okay, but you have a contract, do you not, uh, which says that your apartment comes because, Yes, I'm renting the apartment here, so yes, it's included one car park space mm. in the apart- included with the apartment. Okay. So the contract is not being fulfilled uh, and under uh, understandable circumstances because a fire has uh, made the car park unusable. Yes. Mm. Uh, what, what, what are you hoping will be done? Uh, do you think that the car park can be reopened? I don't think so because it's months gone, one month gone. And be honest, maybe one time I see the two vans, they try to do some things from the month and they do nothing. Months, it's exactly do nothing. So they say that be done in six months, but I don't think that be happen in the year at the moment. That this is how they do that now. Mm. So I try to call them. I tell them. I ask them to come for talk with us. They not interesting about that because I see that we can sort that. We can rent even from the other it's garden shops on the. Academy Street, we can rent, the, they should rent the land for us, like for other 20 cars, we don't have to pay the tickets, nothing, but they don't want to sort the problem. Okay. They don't want to spend even one euro for sort that problem, you know. Okay. I just I just want to say tomorrow in the Art Boy Hotel in the Navan, 7 o'clock evening, they have the appointment with the owners of the apo- uh, apartments. So if anyone be interested, go and ask maybe them, maybe take some more information from them. That'd be good as well, you know, okay. because I I know for the owners of the uh, apartment, they just read the report and they don't want to talk. They just want to leave. Right, that's seven o'clock in the Ardboyne uh, tomorrow evening and uh, indeed be... In the Navan. Yes, uh, okay. Uh, and we'll uh, see if uh, Meath County Council uh, can do anything to help you uh, in terms of parking. But what's the situation with the apartments now? Two two of the buildings are closed, are they? Yes, over 100 people, they live. And some of them, they live in the friends' 
Some of them live in the hotel. Some of them, my friends, they go for the holiday in Poland and they don't come back. They don't want to come back because they know the apartment won't be ready in six months. So they move and they want to stay for good in Poland because they know that they won't be done on the time. Even her, even the friend's daughter is supposed to be go to the preschool here, so they don't have the chance to come back because they pay. There is few families like that who pay the mortgage, so they can come back here and pay the mortgage plus rent the other house hmm. because it's you know it's. A dreadful so situation, it really it's, is. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's over 100 people. Yeah. Some of them, they relocated even to Drogada. I mean, it's no joke uh, having to pay parking fines 40 euro a, a day because of what's resulted uh, yes. from that fire. But at the same and time, you're one of the lucky ones, really, aren't you? Yes, yes, mm, exactly. Yeah, mm. I am because the next door was already closed. So we, I, my apartment was the next one to close, you know. So we are lucky we still have the house. We can live here, but it's other problems and it's I don't see the finish of that problem with the Oriel management property. Okay, Lucas, I've run out of time, but thank you for joining us uh, this morning. That's Lucas, who's a, a resident in Academy Square in Navan. Michael Reed on LMFM. You heard the Minister for Justice earlier in the programme speaking about policing the roads and clamping down on speeding. Helen McEntee was speaking to LMFM's Eamon Doyle, ahead of a programme to be broadcast on Virgin Media, which is looking back on the life and times of John Gilligan, called Confessions of a Crime Boss. Let's hear what the Minister had to say about that. Uh, Minister Hildegard has been quite critical of uh, Virgin Media uh, about running a a documentary on the drug trafficker uh, John Gilligan. What's your views on that? To be quite honest, um, this is a man that has uh, created misery for so many people and so many communities and I know there's a lot of people and uh, families and communities um, that are very obsessed by the fact that this documentary is on this evening. He's someone who has been convicted of very serious uh, offences and I for one certainly won't be watching it. And do you think it's an error on their behalf to broadcast it? I think the producers maybe need to, to think about what they're trying to achieve by uh, showing this programme but this is a, a person who has been convicted of very serious drug trafficking crimes uh, and who has inflicted untold misery on people uh, and as I said I certainly won't be watching it and I know many people who won't be either. Right, that's the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee. The programme was made by Peninsula Television. Its CEO is David Harvey who's on the line. Good morning David. Thanks for joining us. Good to have you back on the programme albeit on the other side of uh, the microphone. Uh, what do you make of uh, the Minister's comments there uh, about not watching it and the reasons why she won't be watching it and her putting that question to you uh, that maybe you need to think about what you were trying to achieve. Yeah, well, the programme was last night, Michael. It did extraordinarily well. It was 25% of the available audience, which is a big, big number uh, for any broadcaster in Ireland. So uh, I'm sorry the minister didn't watch it because she might have got an insight uh, into the sort of person she's trying to put away. Um, John Gilligan gave a very kind of uh, interesting view of how he has lived his life. Um, and, uh, I mean, we were we were given uh, exclusive access to him by a journalist, Jason O'Toole, and we went down and shot some additional sequences with John Gilligan. And I thought the programme was a very um, balanced, fair uh, look at 
a criminal mind. I mean, everything he said on that program was disabused by other people who've either dealt with him, uh, who were friends of Veronica Guerin, who were people who had tried to arrest him over the years. Uh, and uh, everything he said was, was contradicted. So uh, I think the minister almost gave the impression that this was some sort of a party political broadcast on behalf of John Gilligan. He was going to be just given access to the airwaves um, to, to rant on about his own story. That, that simply is not the case. In most it's not just the minister, though, is it? Ver- Ver- Veronica's brother, Jimmy Guerin, uh, was none too pleased yeah. with it. No, no, he's not. And Jimmy's entitled to his opinion. Jimmy and I discussed the programme way back in April. We also discussed it three weeks ago. Uh, he thanked me for the heads up of what was happening in the programme and we left that civilly. So, but he came out in response, as he has done to pretty much everything which has been uh, about Veronica over the years and that's his entitlement and it's been um, something he's done consistently and I, I admire him for that. You know, I'm not saying you can't please all the people all the time but he clearly feels very strongly about it. The programme wasn't about Veronica Guerin. The programme and the, the two that are to follow next Monday and the Monday after are about John Gilligan. I mean, let's be clear about that. Mm. Do you think that it glamorised Gilligan in any way or glamorised the life of crime in any way? No, how can you glamorise John Gilligan? Well, I, mean, I found myself is, laughing on a, a few occasions uh, about the time he stole the pound of butter or came back uh, without the pram but plenty of money for his mother. Yeah, which, I mean, if that's, if that's the life of glamour, well, I'd rather not have one. Um, you know, it's, it's real low-rent stuff. He... Uh, Became, was a petty criminal who became a bank robber, who became a factory breaker-inner, who became a drugs distributor. I mean, if there's any glamour attached to that, I can't see it. You know, John, John Gilligan's life has been rags to riches back to rags, and mm. um, that, says it's, that, that, that tells its own story, really. Yeah, but there was no remorse, was there? Uh, I mean, I think he said he regretted going into a, a life of crime, but then in the next breath he said, that's just sort of something you say. Yeah, and I, I think there's no remorse in, in, in most criminals. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. I mean, Malcolm MacArthur, Rose Dugdale, any of the people we've, we've, we've had some interaction with tend not to be remorseful. They also tend to be sociopathic in that they don't care who they hurt. Uh, I think Gilligan's certainly a product of that kind of behavior. Um, 
again, I'm not an apologist for John Gilligan, and we didn't set out to do anything but tell the story. We're not trying to glorify him. It certainly doesn't come across in these documentaries. Mm. Uh, would there be a case for admiring John Gilligan as someone who came from the tenements, uh, who came from nothing uh, and ended up with an empire? And what, worked himself up into being an empire of evil, if you want to call it that? Well, uh, I don't think so. An empire of I, evil I, I, doesn't, the, the, the evilness doesn't seem to bother John Gilligan, but he made a lot of money, didn't he? It doesn't matter to John Gilligan, but it mattered to a lot of other people. He did make money, but by his own admission, he gambled it, he lost it, he spent it. He's nothing. He has nothing um, at this stage of his life. Wouldn't it have been better if he had dragged himself out of the tenements and got involved in legitimate business? He, he obviously was talented at what he did. Mm. Um, but wouldn't it I'm have been sure. better if he was a, ro- a different sort of role model? Yeah, you know? I can't remember how many hundred pounds he'd have got for weeks at, at sea uh, when he was telling uh, that story last night compared to 40 seconds in a, a bank where he'd come home with five or ten thousand pounds. Yeah, I, I understand. That doesn't legitimise what he did. Um, but but I think in, in I, I think one of the arguments is in this day and age the, the glamour attached to crime, particularly drugs crime of, of these guys who are going around in, in, in designer clothes, driving fast cars and so on, um, and, and encouraging 13, 14 year olds to skip school to be a part of their their organizations. Uh, that's that's a real worry and that is a concern. I don't think that was what Gilligan was up to in his day. And you got to remember, this is 30 years ago. Hmm. Um, we didn't have the media focus we have now. We didn't have the, the the ways of stopping him. I mean, I don't think John Gilligan could break into a factory today, for example. Hmm. He couldn't get away with an armed robbery today. And he certainly would be under enormous scrutiny um, if he was in the drugs business. So the times are different. Well, it seems as though he continues uh, to be in business. Uh, was it a coincidence that the programme was scheduled to air last night uh, on the day where he was back in front of a judge? It is the most extraordinary coincidence. I mean, I couldn't have written the script myself, and I'm quite taken aback by the the level of hype around the programme, which is really a documentary. Um, and, you know, on, on the same night, at the same time, Mary Cassidy, the former... Um, uh, pathologist was on air talking about the crimes she was involved with. RTE has cracking crime and the case I can't forget and Virgin Media is the Kinnahans and Gangland and Jerry Hutch and all these things. You know, this is, this is, a, this is a genre of television that is, is, is everywhere. It's, the, it's one of the biggest genres right across the world. I, do, I can't really fathom why this stuck out, save for the fact that unlike other programmes, in this particular instance, John Gilligan was telling the story himself. That's unprecedented. I think this is probably the most controversial um, series in Irish television for quite some time. But I have to tell you, now, one of your, your fellow um, distinguished presenters, Pat Kenny, called it this morning an extraordinarily compelling program. Mm. So, you know, I have to bow to other people who've seen it and think that the program itself, leave the, uh, the, the, the lead character, if you like, out of it, um, tells its own story. Okay. I found it fascinating uh, and uh, I think I'll probably watch the next two. That's uh, Monday next week and the following Monday. David, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. David Harvey is the CEO of Peninsula Television, uh, which has produced Confessions of a Crime Boss. This is the story of John Gilligan, told by John Gilligan, which is being shown on Virgin Media.
So more comments coming to us now. Speed cameras are a money racket. They're a waste of money, says our caller. Gardaí is what we need. They can see for themselves what's going on and they can deal with all kinds of things on the side of the road. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. A lot of people in touch with us uh, about the roads and cameras and other issues. Uh, John Conlon in Bally McKenney says, uh, the speed camera bands are a joke. Everyone knows where they are. They're supposed to catch people speeding, but they only catch a small minority as all you have to do is look on the website to see where they are. They shouldn't be advertised as to their whereabouts. It's a joke. Why do they have to say where they're going to be? Thanks, John. Uh, I've heard that over the years. I think the stock answer, if you like, is, well, if you know that they're going to be at the end of the road, you won't be speeding when you're driving down the end of the road. And it's not uh, something that they do um, with the intention of finding people. It's to change behaviour. Richard is in Drogheda and he's been WhatsApping us too. And he says, we need better traffic calming measures in Drogheda. Rathmullen Road, right beside LMFM, is 50 kilometres an hour and passes the second largest school in Ireland. Also, St. Paul's and St. John's walking along the road and crossing cars using this road as a racetrack at night. Numerous accidents and fatalities over the years. Do we have to wait for children to die before they put speed ramps in? They're all over Dublin states uh, and you don't have any choice there. You just have to drive slowly. Thank you, Richard. Thanks as well to another person WhatsApping us saying, very sobering to hear all of our young children, people, young people who have died on our roads, Michael, and all the talk and sound bites by it. The authorities is not going to change one iota the simple fact that there aren't enough guardy, not sufficient amount of guardy to police the roads. Thank you indeed. Uh, we'd somebody else then uh, WhatsApping saying, my husband has long COVID this past three years. Went back to work, front line, and they're looking after him. But when he comes home in the evening, I have his painkillers ready and he's straight to bed and no one cares. God, that really has taken me aback. Thank you indeed for that. Uh, just to... Um, give you some uh, more comments. Uh, one from Damien O'Farrell, uh, who led the campaign, uh, which was successful yesterday in Drogheda to rescind the freedom of uh, Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey. Uh, Damien says, on behalf of all of the victims who requested the freedom to be rescinded, we would most sincerely like to thank all of the people of Drogheda who supported us and stood in solidarity with us. Thank you. We thank all of the councillors who listened and voted with us. We respect the rights of the other four councillors to vote against us. To refuse to hear us is a different matter though. To Councillor Cannon, never has a councillor spoken so much on a subject and demonstrated so little knowledge, understanding or empathy towards a tragic situation. Mayor Tully, we could not have been more polite in reaching out to you by refusing to hear sexual abuse victims out. You have brought great shame on your office as mayor and on the people of Drogheda. Councillor James Byrne, you say one thing and you do another. That's the worst kind of public representative. You say you support victims of sexual abuse and in the town hall yesterday you quite clearly didn't. Councillor Declan Parr, you also refused to acknowledge our existence for 11 months. The public of Drogheda deserve a whole lot better. Be assured, no matter what Councillor Callan or the CEO, Joan Martin, say about natural justice, Brother Garvey nor any representative of the Christian Brothers will ever agree to be interviewed about the litigation strategy presided over by Brother Garvey. It's indefensible and as far from victim-focused as is possible. 
and they know that Drogheda made the right decision. Thank you. Thank you uh, to the programme as well, says Damien, uh, because of the coverage of this great injustice. Thank you indeed, Damien, for that. Our phone number is 0419832000. We'll have lots more on that uh, later before we finish up today. Text or WhatsApp 086 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing in uh, bulletins uh, this morning, the two Sinn Féin TDs in Louth, uh, that's Rory Murakou and Imelda Munster, have written to the Garda Commissioner asking that County Louth would have a stand-alone policing division. Let's speak to Rory Murakou and uh, a very good morning to you. Uh, and thank you indeed for joining us. You're concerned because Louth, Cavan and Monaghan are to make up a, a policing division. Uh, Yes, Michael. Uh, Look here. Good morning and morning to the listeners. Look, um, this is an issue that has been coming down the road at us uh, a long time. Now, it has been postponed for numerous reasons. Um, There was issues in relation to Brexit. There were issues, obviously, in relation to um, COVID. Uh, Look, me and many others, and and many other elected reps throughout the county, would have been on the record in relation to thinking we didn't think this was a good idea. Everybody knows historically the huge policing needs that there are in County Louth, the big towns of Dundalk and Drogheda, obviously the border, the M1. You know, you have detailed multiple issues over over the last while. I could even deal with the particular issues that have come across my table in the last while, where we're talking about three-way conversations between myself, the Gardaí, the council, in relation to really violent acts um, in, in estates involving machetes and all sorts of threats. You know what I mean? So do I want to see anything that I believe will diminish the Gardaí's ability to deal with those sort of issues? Of course not. And the fact is, um, I would have spoken to Jerry McMonagall. He's a, a colleague of mine in Donegal. He would be chair of the JPC. Uh, and Donegal was to be moved in with Sligo and Leitrim. And uh, they did a considerable piece of work in relation to this. And in fairness, the issue was reviewed. Uh, and Donegal is to remain standalone. Now, that's on the basis of, uh, you know, size, you know, demographics and whatever else. But I'd say County Loud has to be considered on the basis of the high policing needs. Look, I don't need to tell you anything about the Drogheda feud and the effort and the resources that went in there. Um, and, and that was the biggest point that, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, ML the Munster in particular wanted to make, to say we can't be going back in any way, shape or our form. This is a huge area for a chief superintendent to deal with. And there, what you will have is you will have Garda operational areas and you will have community engagement superintendents. And, and that's all particularly good. Uh, you're dealing with a huge amount of, let's say, the HR piece and let's say an awful lot of the admin piece is being taken away from them. That's all to be welcomed. But I have a particular difficulty that I uh, that let's say there will be a superintendent intendant with responsibility for murders mm. and serious crime, and they are going to be based in Cavan Monaghan, and they will have to deal with the entire area. So no, yeah. not that mm. the needs of a 
PD are, are a particular issue here. But if I was, let's say, if it was Dundalk and I was dealing with a particular, you know, an issue, a major crime, I would talk to the superintendent, uh, Charlie Armstrong. Uh, whereas in this case, I would be talking to Charlie Am- Armstrong to make contact with a particular superintendent uh, who's not even based in the county. I, I just don't see how this works. So myself and Amanda And the Munster policing needs, wrote, you, you believe, are, are, are different because the level of crime is different. I'm sure we've serious crime in every corner of uh, the country, but not a, on the same scale, you argue, in Cabinet and Monaghan that there is in Louth. I'm sure, I, 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 I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Cavan JPC in the last while have spoken about that they didn't see any co-relationship between Cavan and Monaghan and Louth. I have no doubt that there's going to be a big head of steam that's going to raise in relation to this. Uh, I'm calling on here all elected reps, particularly Oireachtas members within this county, mm. um, to join with myself and Amelda and to ensure that the pressure is on. We know that there's going to be... Uh, I imagine there's JP. pressure coming or a concern coming from uh, Cavan and uh, Monaghan uh, because if you look at this in reverse, if your argument is correct and there's uh, more serious crime in Louth, uh, well then you'd be worried, would you not, that Cavan and Monaghan would be neglected? There would be an element of that if I was coming from Cavan and Monaghan. Uh, my fear is if there is any element of, as I say, spending resources, and we know the issues that exist in relation to guards at this point in time, we know that the issues there are around the roster issue, obviously problems for the commissioner himself. Um, but beyond that, you're hearing from guards who are dissatisfied, who believe this is another imposition as regards a work condition that does, you know what I mean, that's detrimental to their family life. But you talk to senior guardie and they say the difficulty with that is how are we going to fill the units? So the only way to do that is possibly by taking uh, guards from community policing uh, and from uh, the drugs units, which I don't think uh, would be music to anyone's ears except mm. for uh, the criminal classes. Nice. Um, so uh, I, I, I think we have a huge number of issues, but first and foremost, uh, as I say, the book stops with the Garda Commissioner. He has the ability, uh, obviously there have been a number of reviews. I'm not entirely sure how the review process goes. Mm. You can go on the Garda website, you will find some of this information hasn't been updated since 2020. Um, but I think he has it full within his powers to at least stall this, that we can have a review. And look, I will be looking from... Hey, you know, answers from senior guardie in relation to how they think this is going to operate. Now, don't get me wrong. You talk to senior guardie, they're given a job. They're going to give you the corporate answer. They're asked to do a job. They will do it to the best of their ability on the basis of the resources they are given. I have no doubt they will ask for, for added resources. Mm. But I just see this as, a, as I say, a huge body of work for a chief superintendent. And again, if you were dealing with serious crime and murders, and again, it... Yeah. If anyone cannot recall the serious issues and and this the murders that have occurred within County Loud, you know, mm. in the in 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 the last while, sure. a quick Google search will remind them very quickly. Oh, absolutely! Of, of, of is, what it, I'm is, about. is it the size of the division though that you see as being problematic? Because you get different policing needs everywhere in County Louds you've different policing needs depending on which part of the county you're in Dundalk and Drogheda obviously very high levels of serious crime uh, but different levels of crime policing needs if you go to Dramiskin or Omeath or whatever uh, is this a case of it's just too big a patch of land for the Gardaí to cover 
Yes, and, and like let's say the two operational areas within County Loud, Dundalk will remain as it is, and then my understanding is that uh, Drogheda will take over, you know, that part of Mid Loud and, and RD, but it'll also be dealing with that part of East Mead. You know what I mean? Where there has mm. been a call for a long time, so that means you're stretching right from there, you know, right through to the likes of Mulla, and, and yeah, it's a huge. It's, it's, it's a huge area to cover with very different needs. And I know you can make that argument and people will say politicians will always look for the resources that they have or they will always look for our division. But I think that's beyond that. We have two of the biggest towns uh, in this state. We have had one of them that was unfortunately making the news for all the wrong reasons. And I would say in relation to Dundalk, the only, way, the only reason it wasn't is that some of the criminals didn't quite... Uh, bite off the level, uh, you know, mm. didn't bite off more than they can chew, which is what happened in Drogheda. Well, if Drogheda hadn't been, I think over, Drogheda overshadowed Dundalk. If Drogheda hadn't been as bad, Dundalk certainly would have been in the headlines uh, and wasn't far behind. No, no, that's 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 mm. it a, a, exactly. And on some levels, sometimes, unfortunately, you deal with criminals that can be far more careful in relation to who they choose as victims, and um, you know what I mean, what they choose to, who they threaten, you know what I mean. And some of them realise when the heat is on that they step back. That's not to say, obviously, the guards don't have a, a long list of serious criminals and that they are addressing them. But again, the unfortunate part in relation to that, particularly when we're talking about organised crime and drug crime. Um, is uh, that the numbers are huge, unfortunately, okay. and and the money is huge. And look, we know we like. I, I'm not going to have the conversation around the citizens' assembly because, you know, obviously we need to look at something different because what we're doing at this point in time isn't working. And um, but I, I'm fairly sure what isn't going to work is anything that will diminish the particular service that the guards can provide. All right. Look, uh, Sorry, you were going to finish. No, 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 look here, in, 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 in fairness, uh, as I say, there are the issues in relation to the rosters, there are the issues in relation to the fact that we don't have enough guards coming through training, um, but what we need to make sure is that we have an operational structure that will work, and I see if they, are, they have looked at multiple other three-county models, and they have been them. We need them to bin this particular model on the basis that we need an operational model that works for Cavan Monaghan, but also works for County Loud, and particularly given the particular needs that we have. Okay, well, you've made your views known uh, along with uh, Malden Munster in that letter to the Commissioner. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Rory Murakush in Fane TD in Louth and Eastmeath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, members of uh, the Municipal District of uh, Drogheda have been meeting in temporary locations uh, since uh, the fire at the council offices uh, about 12 years ago at this stage. What this meant, unfortunately, yesterday was that whilst the councillors were inside uh, debating whether to rescind the freedom of Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey or not, the people who had been asking for it had nowhere to go but to stand outside. There is no public gallery. The debate took place yesterday and when the vote was taken and the result was known that a majority of five to four had decided to rescind the freedom of Drogheda from Edmund Garvey, I went out from the meeting and spoke to some of the people who had gathered there. Okay, Jackie Taff, you're... In Drogheda, you've come to uh, Fair Street, uh, where the council have just made an historic decision to rescind the freedom of Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey. What do you think of that? Well, Michael, 
I'm absolutely thrilled that you came out because only for yourself, LMFM and the many journalists that covered this story for the last nearly year when Damien initially came to Drogheda and started to reach out to speak to the councillors, to have a conversation with them to explain what we were trying to achieve by by rescinding the freedom of Drogheda from Brother Garvey, that in fact he was blocking or obstructing victims from getting justice. So today um, it's been some road. We're not done. I think we've only started as a group and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled. Um, It's going to be all over social media. I'm so happy for all the victims and survivors. Um, And once again, Michael Reid, you're a beacon of light. Damien Farrell is a a light warrior. That's what Damien Farrell is. And uh, there's a few men here that I can't name today, but they're the same. And thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, and the men who you're talking about here have been thwarted by the Christian brothers. Uh, It has to be said, it's not just going to be over social media. This is going to be across the national press. And therein lies this message coming from Drogheda, coming from every corner of the country, quite possibly, to the Christian brothers. Will they heed it or will they have to have manners put on them through a change in the law? Well, I'd imagine that they'll have to have manners put on them by a change in the law because these children, now men, were tortured. And they weren't only tortured. Like We won't get into the horrendous things that was done. Rape, put in dungeons. We know the stories. We've seen them on primetime. These are courageous men that have fought for this today. So last May in the Boyne Valley Hotel, I asked the councillors then, those that had attended, and there was only one from Drogheda that had attended that day, to make Drogheda a flagship town for not tolerating child sexual abuse. And today, I think, starts that journey. And I want to be part of that, part of informing and educating. And I encourage anybody that has been sexually abused as a child to reach out to myself, to reach out to Damien or the group. And we will embrace you because something fantastic is happening today. Thank you, Michael. Maybe or you come to draw for the results. You got the result that you were hoping for. Um, how do you feel? It's been a long road. It's a long road, but I'm delighted and relieved um, that we have supported the victims in Drogheda and rescinded the freedom of Drogheda. And it's a clear message that um, Loud says no to child sexual abuse. Loud says no to the litigation strategy used by the Christian Brother Order. And Loud supports all the people of Loud all the people of Loud that has come to me in the last 10 months in relation to this and all the other councillors. Um, we have sent a clear message today that um, we're taking no more. We're going to make a stand. We're going to break the silence. We're going to be the voice for all the people of Loud. There were some arguments made inside. Uh, one of those was that Edmund Garvey has been denied natural justice because he hasn't had a, a, an opportunity to respond or comment on this in advance of the vote. And another concern that was raised was that Brother Edmund Garvey did nothing illegal uh, and therefore there is no basis for this vote. What do you make of those thoughts? From the word go, from the word go, I have said that it is unchristian as leader of the Christian Brother Order what Brother Garvey has done to his other um, members, his other brothers, his innocent decent, hard-working education, teachers, fabulous people that have done so much for our country and county. From the word go, I've said that. Edmund Garvey was asked repeatedly to meet. Ed- Edmund Garvey has met some survivors. 
Edmund Garvey knows exactly what is going on. It's time to break the silence, Michael. It's time to step up and be counted. We are elected reps to represent the people, and I will always represent the people. Okay, I just want to ask you one question because this was a campaign that was always set to fail, but it it succeeded. Uh, And it succeeded for one reason, uh, and that is Damien O'Farrell. And Damien uh, met you and you drove this at a a council level, but Damien is obviously a person who doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, And it's hard to believe that after the 10 months he, he spent lobbying on this, that he's changed opinion and he's brought about this historic vote It's an historic vote Damien has been phenomenal, every single survivor that myself and Councillor Bernie Conlon and Councillor Paddy McQuillan met in um, the Boyne Valley Hotel um, last May, every survivor have been um, fantastic they have battled for 30 and 40 years of their lives for this and we have sent a clear message today and I want to commend Damien and I want to commend all the survivors, all the survivors here today. And I want to say well done. Um, persistence and perseverance is the key and the truth will always out. And get that legal strategy off the agenda and let survivors get into treatment and justice and closure. OK, Bernie Conlon, you've also come to Drada today uh, and it's an historic day. Uh, it- there's no doubt about it. Uh, this has never happened before. Uh, what do you make of the result? Well, I'm absolutely delighted for the survivors and for Maeve Yor and Damien O'Farrell as well. And it's, it is a historic day. Did you expect the result? Uh, I didn't expect that, that result, you know. There has been uh, some very strong commentary from within the chamber against this result. Uh, do you believe that that will be the end of it? Or do you think that there's a possibility that this will be challenged in some way? Um, I think, yeah, that there's a possibility that it will be challenged at some stage. Um, I'm not confident that it's um, a no-no. But regardless of that, I suppose, yeah. given the attention that this is getting today nationally, yes. uh, and it'll be spoken about in every corner of the country, uh, it sends a very strong message to the brothers, doesn't it? It does. It, se- it certainly sends a very, very strong message to the brothers and to um, the town of Drogheda. And, of course, everybody wanted to hear what Damien O'Farrell had to say about this. I'm absolutely delighted that the freedom of Drada has been ruled for Brother Edmund Garvey. This is all about victims. And I want to say a really big thank you to Councillor Maeve Yor, who stood up with us from day one, and to Bernie Conlon as well, who always seconded her motions. To the five councillors today, Paddy McQuillan, Michelle Hall, Emma Cutlip, Joanna Byrne and Tom Cunningham, thank you very much. You've made a lot of people's day all around the country. This is going to reverberate around the country and it'll actually go around the world. It's a very strong message and it sends a really strong message a really strong message to the uh, to the Christian Brother Order to see what you know to see will they do anything now about this about their litigation strategy. Society is sending them a strong message, and they would hope they would heed that and they would change their ways and put forward a nominee to accept cases. That's all we want. I know you didn't set out to lose; you've won. Uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, was that your expectation, or, or what was because it, your expectation? Because it, it seemed as though uh, you were setting out to achieve the impossible and you've done it. I think 
only a few people would know it. It sort of was the impossible. We started off last October. It took 11 months to get a motion onto the agenda of Drogheda Borough Council. 11 months. It's, not, it's, too, it's too long for victims. Why should they have to wait that long? This was some, some of the councillors came out here today and congratulated me and they, they just thought this was some political achievement because it was a political decision today. They'd never seen anything like it. So I'm proud of myself for that and I'm proud of Maeve Yord and I'm proud of all the councillors today that supported us. The councillors who didn't, I don't understand. You, you, you never listen to us once. You never, you never. So I, 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 I don't know. We didn't, we didn't get fair treatment and we didn't get fair treatment from the officials as well, I felt, over the period of this, of this campaign and that they need to look within themselves and, and wonder why that was. Some of uh, the men who can't sue the Christian Brothers Order because of this legal strategy uh, are here in Drada at Fair Street uh, and you've been texting others uh, and I'm just wondering, can you give us a, a flavour of what the reaction is from those men? Well, I spoke to two men and they were crying. And one man hasn't one man hasn't got hasn't got to do with this particular. He would have been abused by the Christian Brothers a long time ago. He's finished his, but he was crying. It's the first time that society has really stood up for them and really done really taken some action. So they're absolutely thrilled, and they want to thank the members in Drada um, for for taking the right decision today. It was the right decision, um, and, and there's and there's no regrets. And this was a good decision today for the people of Drada. And I think it's it's also restored. Um, the reputation of, of Drogheda and the people in Drogheda and I, I think that was a good thing because I think it could have been damaged today if the result had gone the other way and some councillors did their best to achieve that but they didn't. Okay, but today's vote doesn't change the strategy. Do you think in time that the brothers will decide to change the strategy or do you think that uh, change in the law uh, will have to be introduced if this strategy is to stop being used? Well, they could have changed it yesterday and this wouldn't have happened today. So I doubt that they'll change their strategy tomorrow. They're a corporate body and they don't, they're, they're not very victim focused. And that's what we know. But I think, I think the Oireachtas needs to look at this and the Law Reform Commission. And I have a lot of confidence in um, former Chief Justice, Mr. Frank Clark, because I think he's a good guy and he's doing his best. And he recognises the hurt and he, and he knows. And all the, all the people, any reasonable person out there will know that this is the wrong too. It's, it's not victim focused and it needs to change. And even within Erst, there's very influential people within Erst, the, the Christian Brothers, the Edmund Rice Trust, they should be having a word with the Christian Brothers as well to say, this, you can't be doing this, you have to be treating victims a little bit better. You can still defend yourselves in court, nobody, but, but, but making victims jump over all these fences and all, that's not the way to do it. You don't treat people like that. Not people that have been raped, tortured, abused as children by your members. That's not the way. The culture has to change in the Christian Brothers and it's better if it changes from within. As I said, the likes of Erst could send a strong message and the schools and the pupils that are going to they should be asking questions about this but again the main thing is it was a, it was a really good day today and I really want to thank your show Michael for the tremendous work because I'll tell you one thing we wouldn't be here today only for the Mike Reed show I'll tell you that much for nothing you, you, you stuck at it and you stuck at it and you stuck at it and you're, the two of us were like two dogs with a bone and we got here and well done to us all right, well done to you, Damien O'Farrell. I've never known anybody like you. Uh, I hope you'll take a break uh, and give yourself a, a bit of a rest because you've really fought long and hard. Yeah, I will take a break. And I think people that have joined us in the campaign um, in other organisations, including maybe the Rape Crisis Centre in North East, they've realised how difficult it was. They've realised that they've seen another side of, uh, of the council of members and how things work. So I will be taking it. It's really taken a, a lot out of me. My very first uh, thing, my very first message to the councillors back in October when I first wrote to them in the very last paragraph, I said to them that this was going to have a personal toll on me because I just knew, because this is the lot of advocates for child sexual abuse in Ireland. This is, this is the way it all ends up it always ends up this way but we have to jump so many walls to get there 
Damien O'Farrell, now there were many speeches made inside uh, the council chamber or the conference room, a temporary setting for the council to meet yesterday. No recording is allowed in there. But four councillors who voted against this were very concerned about the way Edmund Garvey was being treated. Uh, Michelle Hall, who voted to rescind the freedom, said though that she would be happy to give Edmund Garvey a month's notice of the motion after it was voted on and that he would be given a right to appeal. That was ruled out of order by the CEO, so that didn't happen. Uh, I did try to speak to councillors afterwards. Uh, I, I didn't see James Byrne, a Fianna Fáil councillor, after he left uh, the meeting, uh, but I, I did ask him uh, to send me a copy of his speech, which he did. Thank you, James Byrne. In that, he says, uh, the problem with uh, the proposal to rescind the freedom of uh, Drogheda from the individual concerned is that we do not have the power legally to remove a civic award from any individual. We would be acting outside of our authority as councillors. On this basis, I will be voting against any such proposal. Uh, another councillor, an independent councillor who voted uh, against uh, the motion is Declan Power. Uh, I did ask Declan Power to send me on a copy of his speech, uh, but uh, he didn't respond to that request. I did see Declan Power after the meeting and I asked him uh, if he'd make comment to me. He said no comment. Uh, In the chamber, Declan Power said uh, that the honour is not just bestowed on anyone. Getting one from your native town is unique. To rescind is to punish Edmund Garvey. He's not being found guilty of any crime. Innocent until proven guilty. Before, fairness and clear conscience did not notify Edmund Garvey about the vote and the possible outcome to rescind. Uh, Declan Power said, I do not doubt every member has thought long and hard and I understand the pressure we have all felt. This is not a court of law. Before we make judgment, I would ask you once again that Edmund Garvey would at least be afforded the decision of receiving this in writing. Uh, thank you, uh, Declan Power. Well, um, I'm sorry, uh, Declan Power um, didn't uh, make comment or pass on the statement. Uh, that's uh, the statement as we recorded, or the speech as we recorded ourselves. Uh, another independent councillor who voted against this is Kevin Callan. Uh, again, I saw Kevin Callan after the meeting uh, and uh, asked him if he'd like to make comment on it. Uh, Kevin Callan said, no comment. I asked Kevin Callan if he'd like to send uh, on a copy of his speech, which he did. So thank you very much indeed, Kevin Callan. Uh, But Kevin Callan uh, said no comment to the local radio station. This is what Kevin Callan had to say to RTE this morning. This person's reputation has effectively been destroyed. His right to his good name has been destroyed in the public domain. And what the Drogheda Borough District did yesterday was effectively to rubber stamp that and say, we agree. Right, that's Kevin Callan speaking on Morning Ireland on RTE uh, this morning. Uh, This is after uh, refusing uh, to speak to LMFM yesterday. This was a further um, move to target one person, as I said, who has committed no crime or or conducted any illegal activity. Um, To me, this is not the job of a county councillor to make a decision like this. And from that point of view, as I've said, and I said it at the meeting, this person's reputation has effectively been destroyed. His right to his good name has been destroyed in the public domain. That's Kevin Callum. Another councillor who voted against this is the mayor, 
uh, Eileen Tully, um, who uh, spoke uh, yesterday, she said that the councillors were taking the law into our own hands. We've decided we are above the constitutional right of this man to hear what he's accused of. We must think that true. Uh, and everyone is very upset, and no one more than me, she said. She said, I believe in the depths of my soul you cannot punish anyone, only the person who committed the crime. There's no point in torturing an organisation or killing an organisation. You have to get whoever was guilty at the time. That's what law is about. If somebody commits murder, then it's the person who has been murdered who feels the pain, and the murderer who was uh, who has murdered uh, who should be punished. It, 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 Uh, you have to understand that she said what we are saying here is from my understanding of all that's come before is that we are holding Brother Garvey responsible for the decision he took in protecting the order against future claims of abuse and everything else he was as we all are in those situations uh, he was advised by his law firm or whoever it was that uh, he took the advice from Uh, now it, it is wrong that victims have to go to such lengths to get recompense but we in July's meeting brought that forward when we asked the council to write a letter to the brothers. Edmund Garvey is no longer in charge but to write to the authorities there to ask them to change the strategy and she said she wants to ask Oroctus members to work to change the law. Uh, I I tried to um, get comment from Mayor Tully after the meeting. Hello Mayor. Michael Reid, LMFM. Sorry, I have no comment. It's all done now. Will you not talk to me now? No. No. Yeah. Well, we'll be recording on your comments tomorrow, um, which I think some of the survivors will continue to find hurtful. Um, do you wish to say anything to the survivors? Nothing at all. Mayor Tully was shielded by a, another person and left without making any more comments. Uh, at that stage, I was approached by a council official, uh, one of uh, the executive, uh, who asked me what I was doing there. And how did I get back into the building uh, and that I shouldn't be in the building uh, because the meeting was over? Uh, I, I felt it was very hostile. Uh, and I, I asked if he would like me to leave. Uh, I felt that I should ask that before or in case I was uh, robustly or forcibly removed. And I was told, yes, you should leave. So I left. And that's where we leave that story for the moment. Michael Reed on LMFM. Very strong thoughts on uh, the comments. Matty in RD says, Good morning, Michael. The Christian brothers and the four councillors uh, that voted nay should be run out of uh, the country. Thanks uh, for that. Matty in RD. We'd uh, Jackie Taff saying, uh, Please uh, share this. The transformative potential of using our voices to challenge the status quo is exemplified in what happened at the council meeting on Fair Street yesterday to rescind uh, the freedom of uh, Drogheda survivors anxiously awaited news outside the council offices regarding the rescindment of uh, the freedom. A poignant encounter unfolded. A courageous gentleman from Drogheda stood amongst us ready to confide his story for the very first time. This moment encapsulated the immense power of sharing personal personal narratives, fostering connection and breaking the silence. It serves as a resounding call to action, urging us to persist in our efforts to provide safe platforms for all who seek to join this essential discourse of change and empowerment. Thank you indeed, Jackie Taff. Um, We'd somebody else in touch with us about John Gilligan saying, I agree with David Harvey, the programme maker. This is another prime example of institutions being run 
by corporations cutting and shaving to save money. Whose money is it anyway? We can't let them dumb down our institutions. Uh, thank you, listener in Terman Fecken. Um, we had somebody else then saying Callan and Byrne should reflect on their decision and what they said last night. They let the people of the town down and most of all, they let the victims down. They should have stuck to no comments and abstained from the vote. But now we know what kind of people they really are. As for our mayor, hopefully that's uh, the last uh, we'll see of them. Power can collect uh, his uh, thoughts from Callan after the next election and head on his merry way. Tully also gone, hopefully, says Tom. Uh, and he says he'll be contacting them to let his feelings known. Uh, well, interesting, Tom, uh, that you heard Callan, Kevin Callan speaking on RTE this morning on LMFM because Kevin Callum wouldn't speak to LMFM. Another interesting twist in all of this, but I'm glad that I didn't get thrown out of the, clo- the, the, the council building yesterday, although it felt as though that was just about to happen. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie